much for coming on today. I'm really glad that we have the opportunity to chat. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. So right off the bat, you have a degree in uh, business and a master's in training and human resources. Give me a little uh, your perspective on on that journey in those in your education, first of all. Right. Yeah. Well, I was one of those people who had no idea what I wanted to go to school for. I mean, I was really interested in music, but at that time I knew there wasn't a lot of career opportunities unless I wanted to teach and I didn't want to teach. That has changed a lot today. But at that time it was like, I don't know what I want to do. So my dad, who's a business, was a high school business teacher, said, then you have to go get a business degree because <laughs> that'll give you a lot of foundation. So I did. I went and I uh, went to um, Mankato State University in Minnesota, and I'm sitting there in these classes going finance and real estate and international business and economics. Like, where is this all going for me? Because it it do- didn't really like light light my fire. And um, and then one day I was in a marketing class, and they came in and they talked about Walt Disney World doing on-site interviews for internships. And I got super lit up and excited about that. And um, that was really then the focus of my business degree. Although the, the emphasis was finance, I really focused on the marketing and strategy end of things. So that was, that's how I really ended up on the business side. And we'll talk more about how that led into really this destination tourism um, career that I've had for the last few decades. Um, And then way later in my career, I became really interested in the people part Mm -hmm. and wanting to study the people part of things a little bit more. So that's when I got my master's degree in training in human resource development. That's awesome. I I think that I'm because I'm very obsessed with purpose and like the driving forces that are, you know, gives us energy in our pursuits in life. One of the things that I have I don't remember who originally told me this, but they said that if you reflect on your life, there's generally for people, there's like one to three like key inflection points that were like, when you, upon reflection, you go back and look, you're like, man, if that wouldn't have happened, I would be, you know, in Europe as a lawyer or whatever. It's like something absurd. And these things happened that caused you to have a course correction or whatever. Could you yes. share, I don't know, what to whatever level you're comfortable, like one or two of those yes. key moments for you in your career? Yes, absolutely. That one that I just described was for sure one of them. I, I was sitting there thinking, am I going to work in a bank? Because I was really questioning. I was getting towards graduation, and I just didn't know what this was looking like. And so when that opportunity, like it was just spoke to me, um, Disney it sounded fun and exciting. I had been there as a kid and I felt that magic pulling me. And so I didn't only do an internship with them at that time. I actually, they, they, Disney has a way of getting their interns to then get into their management program. So I spent five years at Walt Disney World Company back in the early 80s and ended up working in their resorts and attractions and food service and all kinds of things. So that was definitely one of them was that moment in my business, in my marketing class when Disney was coming on campus to interview for internships. So, um, so I'm ahead. wondering, yeah, that's Disney. Cause I actually have two good friends from college. One of them, uh, interned at Disney and then they ended up, uh, moving up in similar, just like you're saying, 
They were some sort of director in the launch of uh, Shanghai Disneyland or Disney World or, or yep. something in China. And then yep. um, another one ended up going to Disney World for um, another intern for and then it turned into like another year or two after that. I'm curious now, obviously, being in the Enneagram and kind of personal development, people development piece how much of that was, and because it sounds like you had some tangents in your career from Disney to now, but was there a mm -hmm. piece of Disney that was, I don't know, that again, Enneagram like resonates or it kind of drew you mm. to that because of your time at Disney? Yes, um, I, I do think so. I mean, we'll get into the specific Enneagram types, I'm sure, but I think there was something about that. And, and my, my Enneagram type is called the enthusiastic visionary. And so you can kind of that dreaming and that magic and that possibility, it was like definitely part of the draw for me and the excitement. It sounded fun. Bo bottom line is my Enneagram type was all about fun. And so there, there was that draw. Um, and having said that, Disney is a company that is, um, you know, there's a lot of books that have been written about their business practices and strategies. And it's a company that I learned so much foundational business, um, you know, uh, information from through my work there. And it's not all fun. <laughs> like I kind of compare it to the military in a way, like it's very, very structured and it's very much, um, you know, you know what your boundaries are and you're expected to operate within them. And, and it's really hard work. And and that's I I was told when I went through my interview with them that they were in, they were recruiting in the Midwest because they um, knew about the work ethic there and that we were like farm oh, kids wow. and hard workers and all that. So I was attracted because of the fun piece of it. But then I think the part of it too that really was ingrained in me was just that work hard, play hard piece that Disney has. Like we're there serving all of the guests we're there to provide the experience it's not supposed to be fun for, fun us. for you yeah fun for yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome yeah. the um so i would say from looking at your bio and obviously the thing the topic that you speak on and train people on is enneagram so mm -hmm. we've mentioned it a couple times kind of for people that have never even heard of this word, uh, give yeah. me the intro into the Enneagram, but also maybe outside of that, you're you're talking about applying the Enneagram in business for people. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So at the very core level, the Enneagram is is a personality typing system. It's like um, other assessments like the Myers Briggs. Uh, the Berkman assessment, uh, predictive index. So there's a lot of those out there. Enneagram, the word is a little bit strange, um, but when we break it down, it's a Greek word and ennea means nine and gram is figure. So it's nine figures. There is basically nine archetypes, or I like to call them nine windows to the world. It's our worldview. It's the window that we're looking through on how we're, we're all looking at the same thing, but we're looking at it through a different lens. And so that's what the Enneagram is. It's these understanding of these nine types. We each, we all have some of all nine types within us. And Chris, you took the assessment 
Um, and you can see on, um, you know, your, your main type, but I've, I, I, I would be able to tell you from some additional information I have of how you rate on all the different types within the Enneagram. And that's true for everyone. We all have some of all nine types within us, but there's one and only one type that is our main type. And that's the important first step of this Enneagram journey is to be able to figure that out. So we do that with these assessments. Um, the one that I use is 97% accurate. You said you resonated pretty closely with, with yours. Um, but that is a, part, a big part of the work that I do is making sure that people know their main type. From there, it's a whole journey of self-awareness. How am I wired? Um, why do I do the things that I do? All of the types have strengths. It's, we like to say it's a strengths-based assessment. And we also have challenges. But the cool thing about the Enneagram is you can look at those gifts and hold on to them, but then you can look at the challenges and say, how can I tap into the other nine, the other, the other eight types that I all have, that are part of me too? How can I lean into some of those to offset the challenges? So it's a, a journey of growth for yourself. And then the, the last part of it is you learn about others. It's like, oh, that's why Frank does that thing that I feel like when I say something, he just stares at me like he doesn't want to do it. And really he's just processing because he's in his thinking space. Um, yeah. So it really helps to understand others as well. I, I mentioned, uh, so I have a friend that's a business coach and I mentioned that I was interviewing you to talk about Enneagram and he got super excited because I, I didn't know this because I had, was aware of like personality assessments and I had heard of the Enneagram, but I had never done it myself. Yeah. And he was saying that he thinks that when an any when the Enneagram is like delivered properly, um, mm -hmm. it should be like a, a hit, like a direct hit at the ego <laughs> was his words <laughs> of just like. <laughs> Uh, it should be, it should like not feel that great that it's like, that it's uncovering maybe parts of you that you don't like to look at or talk about, but it's for the sake of growing and being self-aware of blind spots and all that. Is that, and that was his take. Yeah. I don't think he's a certified Enneagram person. This was just yeah. his like excitement that came out when I mentioned it. Yeah. So part of the, you know, discuss, you know, um, really part of validation of main type, which is the first step for us, it, it, ha it goes through a series of statements of the strengths of the type and then through a series of statements of the challenges. And I often will tell people that I'm coaching, the cringier it feels, the truer it probably is. <laughs> so if this is causing you to feel uncomfortable, you know, it's probably, it's probably pretty close to, to accurate. And, and then I reassure them, we, all the types, there's not, not one best type and all the types have their strengths and their challenges. So it's just figuring out which area is, is your area of cringiness. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. So my, I'm curious if you have any questions or, or want to uh, yeah. uh, dissect me. I'm a three competitive <laughs> achiever. Um, yes. the words that, I mean, I've always identified with like ambitious efficiency is like, mm -hmm. I've, uh, I didn't know, I, I still don't know if there's a degree for this, but I real I had said when I had gotten out of college that if there would have been a degree for like optimization, that's what I should yes. have gone into because I, yes. I just want everything to be efficient and like automated and, uh, quick, um, so, yes. I mean, and I mean, the words are, I'm like, yeah, that's a uh, results oriented, driven. I do yep. think of myself as adaptable, 
but yeah, I'm curious what, like with, after I've taken this assessment, if you're, if I'm like a client of yours, where do we go from yeah. here? Yeah. So again, exactly what you're doing, reading through and saying, yes, I connect to connect with those things. Were there some of the things on page, uh, if you're looking at yours right now, page nine, which has the challenges of your type and, and we're, your, your type is um, type three it is, is known as the competitive achiever. Um, like you said, very goal oriented, productive, you're driving, just um, boom, boom, boom. And there's a little piece of it that is you want to win. But when I talk to type threes, more than they want to win, they don't want to lose or they don't want to fail. Does some of that resonate with you? Um, yes, I would say I'm very, I've always been competitive almost for the sake of being competitive. Like I've, I've always loved arguments and I, and now yeah. in business, I have to, you know, decide like, am I just saying this to just have an argument and like, see how well someone's <laughs> thought of their perspective. Uh, but, and I've also, I think, or, and again, maybe, maybe this is an, a re, re verification of my type. I like to think that I'm self-aware of my competitiveness to, mm -hmm. uh, to leverage it. And I tell people that I manage or people that I work with, like I might come in, like I know everything, but I don't want people to just roll over and not engage. Like I want there, I want a, like a, an aggressive response almost with like, yeah. I think that's wrong and here's why. And I'm like, okay, now we're going somewhere. Now we're going somewhere. Yeah. You know what I'm hearing from you? Um, Cause you had really high in your Enneagram scores also was the type eight. Um, you only were off by one point between the three and the eight. They're both very high. That what you're describing feels to me more eight like it's called the active controller, um, or I I also like to call them the CEO of the Enneagram. Like they of all the types, like debate is a sport, and what they don't understand is that with the other types it feels like conflict. Like oh no, I don't want to go there, and you're just like let's go in, like lean into it. And um, so when you combine your eight with your type three. Um, you know, it's sort of like, we're going to debate this, like lean into it and I'm, I'm going to engage you. And then I want to win. Like, it's probably that last little piece is like, you'd like to win the debate and, and win them over as well. That'd be my guess. Mm, yeah, no, I would agree with that. Another one that's kind of uh, cringy for me is uh, masking <laughs> problems and failings very effectively. Tell me more about that. How <laughs> that's that like a, up for you. I would say that's like an embarrassing one when it, when acknowledging that this is something that I do. But I feel like in my past life, I ran a marketing company, and you know there'd be we'd have our monthly meetings. And now because of this, I'm like so skeptical of marketers that will whenever <laughs> they're having their presentation on on metrics and stuff that they're measuring, mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah. there's a thousand ways you could spin these metrics to make it look like you're doing a good job. Because I did the same yes. thing. So it's like we're going to yes. focus on your unique visitors or whatever and ignore the bounce rate. Or we're going to ignore the bounce rate and talk about – it's like there's just ways yeah. that you can present data. Um, yeah. And that's I would say yeah. that it is definitely something that I have become more cautious of to not yeah. go into a defensive state and try to like let the, criti the criticism come and then just yeah. like sit in it and try and look at what's actually true because – from my perspective, yeah. masking failings too often or too frequently is just preventing me from getting me 
to where I want to be, which is growing and becoming a better leader or whatever. Yeah. Great. I mean, that, that to me sounds like a type three that's very self-aware and on a growth journey already. You know, it's that, how do I connect to my authenticity? How do I connect to who I am really and not have to spin the story and make it look like people expect to look at who am I really? And what are the, what is the story really? Yeah. How about, tell me about, um, tell, tell me about your tendency to work. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I would say, uh, I mean, thank God for spouses. Uh, my wife is, does a great job of, uh, pointing this out to me, but I feel like, um, I, yeah, I, I, I almost, I would say that I don't work that much because what I'm working on doesn't feel like work. But at the end of the day, like Natalie points out, you're, you're just working, you just work all the time. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, but it's fun. It's like, I'm, I'm solving yeah. problems and it's hard to not, yeah. it's very hard for me. And even I would say this was worse when we first got married seven years ago. Um, like we'd go on vacation or, or even when we were discussing where we wanted to go on vacation, I was like, let's go climb a mountain. Like, let's go do and accomplish and achieve. And she's like, can we just go to the beach and like sip on a margarita? And like, that sounds like the most stressful vacation ever. Um, And so, but yeah, I would, I would say that is a, that is a thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, you, you, I'm, I'm assuming you work for, you have, you have your own company. No. So I, this is how I got connected with you. I'm the marketing director at Webfoot. And they're okay, based in Ben okay. and Travis, the owner of Webfoot is in Vistage and you're going okay, to be yeah. speaking to the group. So anytime yeah, they have a yes. speaker coming, he invites all the senior leadership to come and listen to the speaker to as well. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking you were the owner, but um, thank you for clarifying that. So, but companies love type threes because they don't shut it down. And if they, if there's this looming deadline, they'll stay up all night if they need to, to get it done. And they, they are just like the energizer bunnies of companies. Sometimes what happens is if companies aren't tuned into that, they, they go and they go and they go. And at some point they crash and they burn and they burn out. Um, and so that's really the big warning sign for companies who are really benefiting from the three energy is just really checking in with where they're at. Mm. Honestly. Okay. Um, the last, or I'm, the only other thing I'm curious on is the, I've heard someone say, and this is in relation to me, and then we can go back to more general stuff, unless there's yeah. anything else you want to dive into, but someone, and I can't remember the exact quote, but it was basically something along the lines of learning about your weaknesses is difficult, but not knowing them is reckless or, or something like mm-hmm. that. And basically that nobody loves finding out all their blind spots or having someone tell them where they're failing, but it's yeah. better to go through that pain than to just be, you yeah. know, ignore it and then have it come back and bite you in the butt because you were, you know, pretending like you had no flaws and just going through life, right. you know, freely. Yeah. That whole area of self-awareness, like being able to hold the mirror up in front of you and look at, look at everything. Like, you know, not just the good things, but also like, what are the cringy things? And that, that is that, that holding up that mirror is the self-awareness piece as coaches. That's what we do is we help people with that mirror um, and looking at things. And, 
in 2019, there was a study done by Cornell University, basically finding that the best predictor of leadership success is a high level of self-awareness, you know, and so when companies are um, looking at people, uh, knowing that people are are not only looking in the mirror, but willing to do the work and say, and you know, as they're interviewing, a lot of times they'll bring in these assessments in the interview process. I get asked by companies a lot to do assessments and they don't care in the end what their Enneagram type is. They want to know through the process of the assessment, debrief and review, what was their level of self-awareness? Were they defensive about the things and making excuses or were they owning it? Mm. So you're saying that companies will hire you or bring in people to do assessments just for the sake of gauging someone's comfortableness with their flaws and strengths. Yeah. And, uh, wow. Right. Right. And then is it like yeah. you're making recommendations on, well, we talked to Jim and he didn't wasn't having <laughs> any of it. And now they're having a serious conversation with if Jim's eligible for the next promotion or something like that. Yeah, it, it's a piece of the process, basically. It's not the whole thing. But yeah. I'll say, you know, this person real, and it's only about the, the Enneagram is like this is their level, whatever. But sometimes like I will do an, a debrief with somebody and they get to the end of an hour and they can't land on their type. They just, they can't own, like, no, uh, that's not true for me. That's not true for me. You know, and if they, if they can't get there and say like one of these types is your type, if they can't get there, they're just not owning some things. Mm -hmm. And so then I'll report that, Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and then I don't know what happens after that. Yeah. But it's a part of the equation. Definitely. Um, yeah. I love, I, um, there's this guy that I follow Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you've heard of him. No, I'm going to write it down though. He's, uh, he's kind of, he's like a, you either love him or you hate him. He's a pretty direct, uh, and abrasive character. Uh, he's, yeah. he's very successful in the marketing and business world, but okay. one of the phrases that he said, or I remember a video that he made a long time, this is probably four, five years ago. He said that if he could make like a drug or like a course or write a book or something that would give something of like the most valuable thing to somebody, it would be like a self-awareness drug. And he said that uh -huh. it is the most critical thing that you could have in life is just being aware of what you're good at, what you're not good at, how you're coming across. Because if you don't have self-awareness, like you just, you are completely just wandering around in the world and have no idea how you're being perceived, yep. which makes yep. it difficult for you to leverage or have a conversation with anyone because you, what yep. you're saying might just be turning you into like, if you, if you are an actual asshole, it would be better to know <laughs> that people view you as such. So you exactly. then know what to do. With it. It. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it. you want to leverage that and go hard in that direction, but you know, maybe not. You know, I agree a hundred percent with that idea of the self awareness drug. I I would buy that. Yeah, I would give that out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, because it, that is the beginning of the journey of what we call our work. And I, for me, um, it it all it all began as a personal journey that then turned into a career that is now. But it never ends the journey of 
self-improvement and trying to become the best version of myself and help others become the best versions of themselves and help teams become the best versions of them. It it's it's ongoing journey and it's 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 work every day, but it has to start with knowing, knowing how you're showing up. Mm. So what is that in, in a team or business setting? So I understand the, um, I'm trying to think of like, what are, what are questions that you often get asked by owners that are considering working with you? What's going through their head when with like, okay, I get it. We need to be aware of our weaknesses, but how are you going to actually apply this or coach a team to be stronger in this process. Right, right. So the, the the initial conversation is very different depending, and sometimes it's just a new CEO that wants to get to know their team better and wants the team to get to know each other, you know, just wants to focus, buys into the idea of the culture of an organization being foundational to their success. But more often than not, I find people are coming to me because there's conflict within the team and they want help with that. Um, and so it's so funny. I was just in a session not too long ago with um, a company that I'm coaching with. And I loved what the owner of the company said. He, he was saying, there's no such thing as a team problem. It always is a conflict between two people on the team. You know, it, it's a conflict between two people. And as soon as you can figure out where that conflict is, which usually happens really quickly, and deal with the conflict between those two people, you know, the team isn't the problem. The two people and the conflict is the problem. So we do work with um, conflict, you know. We, it, so, again, it all starts with what does your own assessment look like, coaching one-on-one, self-awareness. But then it might be bringing in two people and doing like this co-leader coaching or co-team co member coaching is like, this is how I'm seeing it. This how I'm, but then on, like having the conversation through the lens of their Enneagram types. Mm. And what the Enneagram Do you does distance is- distance yourself from it a little bit more? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It takes out the personal piece of it and it, it reduces things to a framework and a vocabulary that everybody connects to. And it's like, you know, this is, this is just your three wings showing up or, you know, whatever that might be. It, it takes the personality out of it and it, it reduces it or, or transforms it into a system. Mm. And the people are part of the system. So I love that specific example of there's no, there's no team problem. It's always a, like a conflict between two people so in that yeah. situation, um, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to share this episode with Scott because I would say it's pretty obvious. Scott and I on the senior leadership team are the ones that are oftentimes most uh, engaging in debate or there's tension between. I don't know what Enneagram type he is, but just with me saying that I'm a three and I like to debate with Scott and we have rubs oftentimes what yeah. likely would he be? Yeah. Um, or what would, does if he, he had enjoy to guess? The, does, does he enjoy the debate as well? I think so. I, I mean, he ha he's a very, um, <laughs> uh, like he's not shy about sharing his opinion. Yeah. Whereas other people yeah. would kind of clam up. He does not. So um, one of the things about the Enneagram of the nine types, there's three that are externally expressed. They're going to be out there 
in the in the world, like showing up big in the room. Three that are internally expressed, they're keeping things inside. And then three that are like, we call it kind of situational, contradicted, you know, depends on the situation. So if he's engaging externally like that, he's he could be a three. But I'm going to guess he's either a seven or an eight. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and you have that strong eight going on and you love the debate. I almost wonder, I, I don't know anything about him yet, but he, yeah. he'll be getting the assessment too. It'll be fun to, to do this with you guys. Um, the sevens are externally expressed and they are more than happy to express their ideas, but they don't necessarily love the debate. Mm. You know, it feels a little bit more uncomfortable to them. Um, but they, 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 are showing up large. They have strong opinions. I actually am a type seven. Okay. And so is, you know, but I know when I get, when I have an eight that wants to debate for sport, mm. I would prefer to just like, you know, sort of like, how, how do we just like find the piece? Like, is there a middle <laughs> ground here? Right, <laughs> Can we right, find right. some? Yeah. So I, I don't know, maybe seven or eight, depending okay. on how much he's engaging, how much he's enjoying it. Yeah. I, and I just think it's more fun to make it real. So the, yeah. I would say, let's yeah. say that you're coming in just to go down this analogy of like trying to yeah. solve a team. I think that this, uh, the team that we're on right now, the senior leadership team, Gavin and Travis, the owners have invested heavily in uh, training and coaching. We've done this. Um, we've uh, trying to remember the guy's name, uh, Eric Coriel. He's another Vistage speaker. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he talks yeah. about no pairing and speaking for yourself. Yeah. And so we've really like cling to this, this idea of if you have a problem, nobody's talking about the problem without all parties present. Yeah. So it's kind of like, like getting rid of gossip, but more than that, just like, don't try to like half solve with part of the team, just get the whole team there and let's talk about it. And then, uh, you know, just the, our quarterly retreats and stuff, we're investing in team building. So I really think that we have a strong team. And so I don't yeah. know if I would even say that we have a team problem, but I do feel like Scott and I are not afraid of challenging or, or confronting, yeah. whereas other people are maybe, I would I would guess, probably more ten like have a tendency to be like, Oh gosh, here we go again. You know? <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, that could be might- we're causing a problem for others, maybe. Yeah, really great insight that you have. Because that that was gonna say is the next part of that whole team thing is um is that you do the assessment for everyone, but then you map it. And what does our team actually look like on the Enneagram wheel? And, you know, so if you have, um, so type nine is the adaptive peacemaker and they would interpret something like a verbal banter like that as conflict. They, they, their, their, their biggest thing is conflict avoidance. They, they just want the peace. They want everyone to get along. And so as that's happening, they might be torn up inside, mm. <laughs> you know, um, somebody else might be like, you know, really shutting down. Somebody else might be interpreting what you guys are doing, which is this like fun banters, your Enneagram, but it might be coming across. And so in our team engagements, all of those kinds of conversations happen as well so that you guys could explain, well, this is really what's happening in this situation. Mm. Um, we're actually getting to a better place, but we're, and, and then, you know, understanding that internal versus external versus situational expression. And, and with, with the internally expressed people, you're going to have to draw them into the conversation, but you wouldn't know that unless you know that they're wired that way. 
Mm, that's awesome. Um, so as far as uh, just the idea of increasing your self-awareness, going back to that idea, yep. what else? So we read, is it, I'm trying to think of other strategies or is there like three things that you'd recommend or the best ways to go about this on like a personal level? So someone listening to this that doesn't have the benefit of working with you yet or, or whatnot um, or finding a coach, is there stuff that we can do on our own to mm-hmm. uh, raise our self-awareness um, and become better versions of ourselves? Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I, there, there's so many, and in my work, I'm, I'm in the coaching space. I do various assessments. I, I um, don't just do Enneagram. It happens to be my passion project, but I do others. But starting with some kind of a tool where you can get that objective data, I think is really important. You know, it's almost like the research phase because you, you can have people that you work with tell you one thing or family members. You're probably going to have these. Bi- and here's the other thing. Uh, the Enneagram is like layers and layers and layers. It's, it's, it's not just behavior. It's what the personality is that you were born with. It's your past um, experiences and traumas. And at the very deepest level, your fears um, and what's driving that. And so what people see from you, like the observable behavior is only the tip of the iceberg to who you really are as a person. So starting with this objective assessment of some sort, and there's a lot of free ones out there. You know, you can, um, you can, there's something called any app and you can get it from the app store and you can go and get your free uh, Enneagram assessment that way. It gives you just a good idea of what type you probably are and then start figuring out, like, am I connecting with that? Um, Personalitypath.com also offers a free assessment. So those are a couple of free resources that I recommend. Um, It's not going to be as like the report I gave you is 23 pages and it's got all of this thing, all of these suggestions for, you know, the work and things that you can strategies like self-coaching strategies, but at least as a starting point, for self-awareness, you can do one of these assessments and get, you know, you're answering the questions about who you are. You are the expert on you. Nobody else is. So starting there, I think is really an important first step. I like that. How does, uh, you've heard of like 360 reviews or where you go ask the, you know, five people that know you or, or whatever the number is in your life and you ask them questions on how do I show up here or, or answer Tell me what the thing I've heard someone say, the poor man's version or the poor man's 360 is two questions. And it's um, how do I or what's it like being on the other side of me, whether that's in work or life or whatever. The second Mm -hmm. question is, what's something that you want? You wish somebody would tell me, but you don't want to tell me. Um, Mm -hmm. And those two things I've asked the people that I manage and then my uh, man, my boss, um, I feel like there's. I, cause I've like, I, I also, I have for the longest time I have said that I love criticism, but mm-hmm. I also wonder if it's something that I've adapted or told myself because I don't actually love criticism and I'm like <laughs> trying to, cause I, I legitimately like seek criticism, 
but it hurts, yeah. you know, it's not it fun, yes. but I'm, but it's like, I know what I want. And I almost am, as I'm reading through this Enneagram, it's like, maybe it's that I'm so competitive and I want to win. And I know that criticism is going to help me get there that I'm yeah. like, bring on the pain because <laughs> I have I'll to go it. through yeah. it. I don't know if, that, yeah. if that's true or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's this other assessment that I really have um, started to enjoy that reminds me when you're talking like that. And it's, I, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called the Berkman assessment. And um, it's, but it's, it's describing a lot of what you were just talking about. It's, it's, it looks at usual behavior and how you show up every day in your normal, but then there's also a plot on the map of your needs what you need and when your needs aren't met that results in stress so and your stress behavior and your usual behavior can look like two different things um and so looking at those assessments with people is really it, it it's the same kind of thing it's like why does he show up this way one day and everything's great you know and then all of a sudden something happens and he's caught totally reserved and withdrawn and not coming out to the group well it could be that you want to be direct and to the point, but what you really need is a little bit of delicacy with you. <laughs> you know, it's like you're maybe you're highly sensitive and your feelings can get hurt. And so if people just see you as direct, straightforward and they, they give it to you like that, it, there could be a disconnect for you. That is an unmet need that could result in different behavior. Ah, okay. That's interesting. So, and that's called the Berkman yeah. assessment. That's called the Berkman assessment. Um, and one of the companies that I'm coaching with uses that one exclusively. Um, and it's a really powerful, powerful tool as well. So there's all of these different, like back to the, uh, the basic concept of self-awareness. There are a lot of resources out there. I feel like every time that I speak with groups, I'll ask, you know, are you familiar with the Enneagram or are you familiar? And they'll either say um, yes, or they'll say, no, not with this one, but I've done Myers-Briggs or I've done pretty, like usually people have done some sort of an assessment like this, um, but they're, they're out there everywhere. And my main point on this is just that even with the 360 reviews, like, okay, yeah, it's the experience of your behavior in this situation and that's fine, but why? Like, what's motivating that? Like, what's the deeper reason, <laughs> which is what the work is all about, is why am I, why? And, and so by answering those questions for yourself, by yourself, it's really going to be more revealing for you as far as your journey of growth. Okay. So how does, because one of the things that Webfoot has in, invested in is, uh, and this is, we're part of this national consulting company of uh, painting and contractors uh, called, it's Nolan Consulting Group and they run a group called The Summit. And they, okay. all of the Nolan Consulting coaches train on the DISC um, profile. Is there like a conversion table or something of like <laughs> high DIs are oftentimes, you know, three fours or something like that? Or is there like a, are they or are they assessing two different things? You know, there because I I am familiar with the disc. I'm not certified in it, and I'm always I'm certified in both Berkman and Enneagram, and I'm always trying to compare the colors with the types. Mm. You know, that same kind of, like the the Berkman colors with the types. Um, they're really different tools, 
Um, you know, so funny, a colleague of mine that I coach with in partnership with, we're both Enneagram sevens and on the Berkman, I'm red and she's blue, you know, complete the most, the most uh. opposite that you can be. So it really, um, I haven't found, I, I'm, I, I might not be giving the correct answer to that, but I haven't found any direct correlations in the work that I've been doing with the different tools. They're, they're different questions and they're getting at some different things in a different angles. And it sounds like with just the more I'm hearing you talk about this, it's not only the Enneagram, it's safe to say that when one of the unique things about it is that it's not only telling you your personality, but it's getting more at why are you the way that you are? Yeah. It's what's be, what's behind it. it so um, I'm doing a little spoiler here for the workshop that I'll do for the, for your Vistage group, but um one of the things, one of the exercises I do, it's, you know, it's Friday afternoon and it's like, you've had a week. It, you love your job still, but it's like every night you've had commitments and clients and things you've had to do is like, all you can think about is sleeping in on Saturday morning. And then it's 6am on Saturday morning and the neighbor's out mowing the lawn <laughs> of all things. What the heck? So Why? So we go through that, like, why would the neighbor be mowing the lawn? You know, well, you know, it's going to rain later. So he wants to get it done. Um, he noticed that Bob had his all nice and groomed. So he wants to kind of keep up with the Joneses. Uh, he, his, his wife has um, got a whole list of things for him to do. So he's, he's just going to start checking them out. But all the different, like the behavior is mowing the lawn. But why the motivation is really the key to the Enneagram, especially. It's like, what is beneath the behavior? Um, you have some types that will show up very similar. Threes, sevens, eights all show up really similar. They're very extroverted out there. But the, mo the why behind it is different. Twos gotcha. and nines show up very similar. And when um, you say the behavior is mowing the lawn, the analogy is like, what are the things that the behaviors for when I'm at work or in a meeting? How do I am? How do I respond to people? How, what's my body language? All those things. Yes. Those would yes. all be the mowing the lawn action. Yeah. But what's what's right. driving those things? Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, a business example might be two type two. So type two is the considerate helper, and they're all about others. They're all about um, what's this person need? Like they think of themselves last, but they're the first to get up and lift the boxes and carry the things. You know, they're all about helping. Nines also are other focused, but the you know they're, they're going to also be like and you know keeping the peace, um, making sure everyone's getting along. Other focused. So twos and nines both very other focused. For twos, it's because they want to be loved. The motivation they want to be loved and appreciated. Oh my gosh, they're so good at what they do. They're so generous. They're so kind. Nines, their motivation is avoid, keep keep the peace, avoid conflict. Like I'm, I'm going to do this so they don't get upset. <laughs> you know, so behavior is focusing on others, jumping in, helping solve the problem. But why? The motivation is where the difference is. Mm. So now I'm thinking back to uh, mine. What would yeah. be, so what are the behaviors of a three or, yeah. or like the most common ones? And then I'm, I'm curious if you could point out why am I 
So why am I doing those things? <laughs> well, I'll just I'll talk in general about type three because even though there's nine types, there's we're like snowflakes and fingerprints, you know. So there's going to be versions that that resonate for you and versions that don't. But in general, the threes are like you said about productivity and efficiency and go 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 drive, winning, um, and and the motivation behind that is outshining the rest. They want to be on the top of their game. They want to win. That's what's beneath that. And um, sometimes they get so caught up in the, the persona that they want to present, this polished together winner. That's what the world expects from them, that they have the ability to lose who they really are. You know, that's whole idea of who am I really and why am I really doing this? The authenticity can get lost. So that's the three. So how does that connect for you? Um, I think I would agree with that. I uh, One of the things I think about is um, this is a very random example that I is related to this, but I feel like in general, I have very good positive self-talk, but I just... Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I have to work out because it, you know, whatever chemically is going on inside me and yeah. now that fuels my brain. Like if I go yeah. too long without working out, I will end up finding myself in a place of uh, just telling myself really bad stories that I'm like, this is like you're just going down the path. For example, um, I was trying to, you know, I had just run a marathon about uh, how long has it been? Two months ago, two and a half months ago. And then I took, yeah. I was going to take a week off to recover and yes. that week turned into a month. And I, like I had done CrossFit before that and I was like, I need to get back to it. But I had canceled my membership while I was training for the marathon. So <laughs> I was just like, had all these excuses of what I was doing. And then I started reaching out to people to see if they wanted to work out and like start up yeah. a new thing. And everybody, yeah. you know, is busy and didn't want to commit to anything. And then I start telling myself, Oh, you know, like this person, this friend of mine doesn't like me and they're, they're now like, you know, there, there's a lack of commitment there and they don't even want to go to the gym to lift, you know, yeah. or, and that, yeah. that there's this, all these like things. It's just like, no, he's busy. He's got kids. Like, what do you like? Yeah. Get over it. Right. Like, that's not what's going yes. on, but I have a tendency and I don't know if this ties in with that of like, I'm so competitive and I do have, I think I certainly have a, like a very present ego. If I'm in a healthy state, then I'm just kind of like, you know, rolling down the street. But if I'm not in a healthy state, then it could be very detrimental and I could end up in a bad place quickly because I start assuming I must not be good enough or I must not be successful enough or whatever because these people are saying no to me now, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's very true. For the three, they're very focused on the expectation of how they're to show up. And if you're not getting the response that you're expecting, your automatic thought would be, I'm failing. I'm not showing up in the right way. You know, it's that whole image that what is the image I'm presenting here? And there must be something wrong with me or they don't like me because um, kind of stories that that would be part of that three uh, characteristic on the unhealthy or on the shadow side. Mm. What else? (laughs) Well, why don't I do I don't know if I've actually gone through all nine types. Okay. Um, Would you like me to do that? Yeah. Or do you want to hang out with the three a little bit longer? 
No, I think, I mean, whatever you think would be valuable to people listening. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's go through quickly all the, all of the nine types. And um, one of the things I'll start with is that I, I like to start with type eight um, because there's three of the types that are in what we call the body or the action center. And there's three types that are in a heart center and there's three types that are in the thinking center. And so I start with eight because it's the first of the body or action center types. Um, so type eight is active controller. Um, we also, as I mentioned, call them the CEO of the Enneagram. They have this instinct knowing of what needs to be done. Um, they're strong and they're confident and they're resolute. And they um, are, as I mentioned, externally expressed. So they, I always like to say they know, there's a gut knowing, they know and they go, very action oriented. So they move to action very quickly. Um, their challenge side is that um, when they're in their unhealthier place, they can not be as concerned about others and how that's how their actions are impacting others. They can be, come across as intimidating because they're in the body center. It's all it, a lot of it's going to be um, physical. It could be voice tone or volume. It could be eye rolls, uh, arms crossed, um, flushing face. So it's the eights are just really. Um, larger than life, I guess, in a way, and they know what they want and they go for what they want. And and at their very best, they do have this protective piece to them also, where they're going to watch out for the underdog. Um, they love a good debate more than any other other of the Enneagram types, and it's like a sport for them. They 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 go right into it, thinking like, "Come on, let's go." So that's eight. Um, type nine is also in the body center and they are the adaptive peacemakers. They want peace and harmony and they have this really great ability to connect in with other people's points of view, like sincerely and genuinely, not just sort of nodding until it's their turn to talk, but they are trying to understand where every other person is coming from. And then they have this great ability to knit together multiple points of view into a new solution. So they're great mediators. Um, they can do conflict. They just prefer not to. And at their shadow side, um, they can become just sort of shut down. They can get overwhelmed by trying to, you know, take in too many points of view. They sort of lose themselves. Like, I'm not even sure what I believe anymore. And they can just have this little shut down thing that goes on for them. And then the third of the body types um, are the type one. And type one, the name for them is the strict perfectionist. I've heard people starting to call them the improvers. And I know type ones like that a lot better. Um, they are just look, they have, they're internally expressed. So everything's inside with them. But um, they they have this gut knowing of what's right or wrong, and they there's like this true north thing that goes on. They want they want to make everything right. They see things in terms of black and white. Um, there's not a lot of gray going on for them, and at their you know unhealthy challenge side, they they can become a bit rigid and um, not really open to other points of view. They it's sort of like it's. This is, this is the way it needs to be. They're very self-critical as well. Um, because they're internally expressed, they can have a look 
that feels judgmental to others. Um, but a lot of times it's, it, it, sometimes it might be, but a lot of times it's more about being harsh on themselves and how they're showing up. Um, so they're very detail oriented. All right, then we move into the heart center and type two is the considerate helper. I talked a little bit about twos. They're other focused, generous, caring. They want to be loved and appreciated. Um, what they struggle with a little bit, like the nines, is losing themselves, taking care of everyone else so much that they aren't taking care of their own needs. Um, they also can do something we call overhelping where it's like you have a type two and they really know what you need. They're going to give you lots of advice. And um, if you let them know you're fine, you got it, they might still try to help you even more and convince you the, what, what you should do. Three, we talked about you and the type three. Um, again, very strong, driven, goal-oriented, accomplished. Um, and at their shadow side, it is about um, you know wearing that mask and not being able to connect to their authentic self and going so hard that they burn themselves out. Um, the other thing about threes I, I don't think I've mentioned yet you might connect to is taking time to celebrate the accomplishments is not a thing for them. Like they're right on to the next thing. You know, it's like, okay, I did this great thing. I completed this marathon. Did I, did I celebrate that? Did I say that was really a great thing or did I go right into whatever that next thing is like putting pressure on yourself for, you know, getting back into the exercise routine and that type of thing. Um, type four is the last of our heart centers and that is internally expressed in the heart. Um, lots of emotion going on, but inside um, they'd like to be special and unique and think of themselves that way. There's um, the way of the, 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 the way that they express and get their emotions out is through artistic expression. It could be music, gardening, um, cooking, arts, writing, but it's just like this bottled up emotion that they need to get out. And so it comes out in form of artistic expression. And then the last um, center is the thinking center. And we have type five in there, internal thinker. And so the fives are known as the uh, um, quiet specialists. And they are <laughs> processors. They're the ones I was talking about when there's a conversation going on or a direct question and you get a blank stare. But they have all this information that's compartmentalized. And so they need time to access it. And they're um, conservers of, they're not going to waste words or energy or information until they've pulled up the right thing. And when you get something from them, it's going to be what they really mean and what they really want to say. They're not going to think out loud, in other words. And so that's the quiet specialist. And they have a tendency to isolate um, and to pull away, go into their cave, so to speak. They need that like they need oxygen. Um, and then six is the loyal skeptic. They're sort of looking at the, scanning the world for what could go wrong. Um, when I meet with sixes, a lot of times they'll call themselves realists, you know, like, well, we're just looking at truly, if this happens, we, we should think about the consequences. Um, the six is the most, as known, is said to be the most common Enneagram type that there is of the nine. Um, but they do tend to see the glass more half empty. They don't trust easily. They're going to be the ones that are the um, playing the devil's advocate. 
They have to ask a lot of questions in meetings. Um, but once those questions are answered satisfactorily, then they're on board and they're like very loyal once they have once they're on board with a project. Um, so that's the loyal skeptic. And then the last one, type seven, the enthusiastic visionary, also in the thinking center, but they're about the positives and the potential and the future. And some people can think that they're, you know, idealistic and like, it's not, you know, really possible what you're wanting to do. Um, and because they're so, you know, they call them the, the, the type sevens have the joy juice. They're always thinking about, you know, what, what grades is it. And they do not want to miss out on anything. So they'll say yes to everything. They'll overcommit themselves. They'll get overscheduled. And kind of like the threes, they have a crash and burn point because of that as well. That's awesome. As you're going through these, I'm like, I was taking notes on things that jumped out to me and I'm immediately like trying to think of people in my <laughs> life and be like, Oh, that guy is definitely a five exactly. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> exactly. You can't help it. It's human nature to try to connect and try to figure out what's my spouse. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but you know, when, when we look at really put applying this to a team, um, you know, a real success story from, um, one of my team engagements I did, it was a leadership team of a school system that was going to be building a new school building. And so there was about 11 people on the team. And um, the top two people, it was the, the school principal and the you know, vice principal. The school principal is a type seven. And she had, you know, going to this new building, all these ideas, and we're going to do all these things. And the vice principal was a type six. And he was always questioning, well, how are we going to do, uh, you know, how, well, we have to think about that. Well, what about the budget and la, 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 la. And, you know, until we did this Enneagram exercise, understanding her type and his type, they clashed. They clashed all the time. They were just like, she's just like, he just shoots on every one of my ideas. I'm just not going to tell him my ideas anymore. <laughs> I'm just going to go make it happen. Um, and when he explain that he's the realist and he wants to make her ideas come to life. But in order to do that, he's got to ask the questions, you know, they, they call it like poking the holes so that I know what I have to fill. Like he's so loyal to the, to the school and to the principal. He's like, I got to know what I need to do to make this, make your dreams come true. All of a sudden it's like, the curtain lifted, you know, and they're working together and they're like, you know, yeah, that's, I, I, I got to ask a couple type six questions here before we go to that next thing, you know, uh, and start identifying. Vocabulary. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So with the, one of the last questions before I move into kind of my wrap up, what is, so you've been doing this for how many years have you been focused exclusively on Enneagram and like business coaching? Um, I've been doing, I have my own company for this for two years. I've been certified in the Enneagram for five and I've been studying it for 10. Okay. So it's been an evolution. <laughs> and so, yeah. And you're obviously going more down. I would say like that your the expertise has allowed you to go more and more specific into now having your own business. What has yeah. surprised you the most in the last 10 years of the Enneagram in like, that just still just like, wow, I can't believe this um the power of self-awareness and the 
the power of a tool like the Enneagram that helps you not only see yourself, not only see the, you know yourself in the mirror, but to um, learn the tools of self-coaching to be able to grow uh, within it. And I, you know, to sum that up, it's the lifelong journey that this work is. It's not just a one month, okay, I'm fixed, I'm better. And it's sort of this roller coaster. It's like it can be, you know, have really, you know, a good, a good chapter of growth. And then you fall back and like, whoa, what just happened there? What was that? You know, and then it back on again. So the layers and layers and layers of, um, of personal growth that are wrapped up into um, our, ourselves as humans, you know, the, the, the potential as humans, the, all the things that make us up and, and then the layers and layers and layers of opportunities to grow and improve. It never ends. The journey does not end. Yeah. I feel it makes me think that obviously taking these assessments and you even mentioned as like a good place to start is like, at least become aware that there are types and what type are you, but it seems like, I don't know where, how, if you were trying to put a percentage to it, as far as just like the knowledge of it, but then the implementation of that knowledge to actually put it to use, where is yeah. the, uh, is it like a 50, 50 split or is one of them more time intensive or difficult than the other? I mean, it's 1090. Like it's, everything's in your 23 page report. <laughs> That's 10%. That's just like this is, and that's what I love about the Enneagram is I, I feel this tool compared to some of the others I've taken, um, it, it, it goes beyond just, this is how you're wired into that 90% of this is what I can do about it and the growth journey related to that. Um, and of course that's what coaching is all about is helping people with that. But I do feel that the tool of the Enneagram, um, be, because of the nine types and all of us having all nine types, there's this whole concept of integration that goes along with this work. And so when I'm a type seven and I look at the challenges of type seven, um, being like taking on too much, fear of missing out, saying yes all the time, just like always future oriented, not sitting in the present enough. I can integrate to my line of five to go to my quiet specialist. I know that that's a path for me that will help me tone down and um, help with the challenges of my seven by integrating to my five. All right, I'm gonna not put anything on my calendar for this weekend. I'm going to read a good book, shut off all my devices, and be in my quiet specialist. And that is going to help me to tone down those seven challenges. So those kinds of tools are available for self-coaching. And that's what I really love the most about this tool. Mm. It seems like uh, there's certain, like if you were to look at uh, job titles or roles in a business, there would be like, you know, naturally a higher percentage of CEOs that are one type or naturally uh, finance people are more often another type. But that's just like almost, I don't want to say chance. It's like maybe we're naturally drawn to that. But is it safe to say that if you are a given type and that's like not a common type for the role that you're desiring, that's fine. Yeah. You just need to be, or becoming aware of your, mm -hmm. your like 
you know, lifts and drains in the day or how you show up is going to make you more effective in whatever position you end up in as yeah. opposed to not being aware of it and just kind of being like, man, I'm constantly frustrated and drained at work. It's like, well, maybe you're not in there. Maybe it's not the job. It's just you're right. misapplying your time or not aware yes. of how what's happening in your day that's taking away your energy or whatever. No, that's, that is really true. And, and from my own personal experience, I have found that people naturally gravitate to certain, like it's the finance people are the fives a lot of times. The CEOs are the eights a lot of times. You know, it's that I do see that in my own personal coaching. And by the way, this Enneagram is broad. There's a lot of use for it in spiritual work and personal development. I personally have chosen to apply it in business. And so a lot of majority of my clients are, you know, going to be in the corporate space, but I personally have found that there's a lot of it, but I very vividly recall a type five CEO um, that I was working with and very withdrawn and very methodical. And, you know, and what we did was, his line of release, which is just getting a little bit deeper in the Enneagram, but he has a line that directly connects him to the best version of type eight. So we worked with that. We were like, how, how do you tap into that confident leader when you need to lead, when you need to, you know, garner the, the troops. And so that self-coaching is available regardless if you're in a type that doesn't seem natural for, for your role. Mm. Well, Linda, what are you most proud of? Of everything you've done in your career, what are, what are you most proud of as you look back on it? Well, I think it would have to be in the space of service. I um, <laughs> and I, I another one of these assessments that I've done. It's like I'm very, very high in. They call it social service, which kind of made me laugh at first because I've always been in business. But it's like service to community, service to other people. Um, that has been my whole career. And um, in my past life before this, I was in, in the space of destination marketing, which is basically running a tourism organization for an area to bring in concerts and conventions and travelers and create events and build a community. And it's an economic development thing. And, you know, I was serving um, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, actually, for 27 years in that role. And I was literally at the table with transforming a place that was a small pass-through community that became then this hip, cool uh, music destination. And I just felt like my contributions to that in serving the community, serving the individual businesses and stakeholders, all those building blocks over time helped to create a place that um, I definitely have my fingerprint on. Um, and so that's true now in my coaching. I can I can ha be of service to individuals who want to grow and become better. I can be of service to teams um, and organizations that want to grow and be better. And that's just how I'm wired. And along with that, it's lo lo love of learning. So I'm a student always. When I'm coaching, I'm learning from them. It's like, oh, that's how that shows up for that type three, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm a lifelong learner and I'm a person of service. And that's really what I'm the proudest of in my work. That's awesome. As a learner, do you have any favorite book recommendations that you 
have uh, I always ask this and could be yes. like your top three, top five list or the one you've read most recently or the one you've recommended <laughs> the most, whatever you want to go with. Well, as a seven, I can never come up with one or two. I've got a, a whole list. And it's so funny. I, um, I go, I go to uh, um, massage therapists every once in a while. who's always asking, well, so what, what are you reading now? And I go, I kind of sigh. He goes, it's always self-improvement, isn't it? Like, yeah, it is. There's nothing good there. Um, but there's a couple that I, I would like to share. Um, anyone that's interested in the Enneagram, especially as it relates to business, I've got a couple of favorite authors there. Um, one of them is Beatrice Chestnut, B. Chestnut. She's got a great book. She's written a few. Um, she's got a book called The Nine Types of Leadership. Uh, Mastering the Art of People in the 21st Century Workplace. And I would um, highly recommend her book as far as understanding the, the nine types and also um, the, you know, how, how those show up in, in a workplace and teams. And then there's this great author, um, Ian Morgan Cron. He actually is an advocate of the same Enneagram assessment that I gave you. He's got a great podcast called Typology that I would recommend. And he, I, I've learned so much about the Enneagram from listening to him and reading his work. And he has a new book out right now um, that is called The Story of You. And what he does, in his, one of his favorite sayings that's become one of my favorite sayings is, the Enneagram does not put you in a box. It shows you the box you're already in and it helps you get out of it. And that's that whole idea of integration. And so um, that book, um, I've, I've listened to the chapter about type seven already like five times. It's like, yes, that's me. Now, what do I do about it? What is my journey of growth? It's literally like, if you are this type, this is what, how you got there. This is what it looks like. These are the of course, the best things about it. And then this is your journey for growth. And I love it. So that's an awesome. And then the last one, because I'm all about accountability and response, you know, self-responsibility. And like, if it's not, if you can't be, go through life being like making excuses and like, this happened because of this, I'm the victim, whatever. It's more like, okay, this is who I am. This is my growth path. And then I'm accountable for what happens next. And so um, I have this great book I read recently, um, an author who I'm actually working for his company. Um, it's uh, his name is Chris Irie. He's from the in the Seattle area actually, and the book is called Own It. And it's he he's a, a mentor of mine. He's an awesome coach. Um, but his whole book on, um, on this is about the own it culture and taking personal responsibility for each, each of us taking our own personal responsibility for the, um, journey of self-awareness and self-coaching or outside coaching and then growth. Like what we bring, not blaming everyone else on the team, but like bringing our best selves to the team. Um, it's a great book. Mm. I love that. I mean, all three of these, I have not heard of them, but I, I have a book list. And I, I wish, well, I wish I was a faster reader, but I am so grateful for how uh, auditory I am because I listen to audiobooks yes. all the time. I do too. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. I'm so grateful for Audible because I would be a very yeah. dumb, uh, ignorant person <laughs> if it wasn't for I'm Audible. the same way. <laughs> Actually, two of those three books I just recommended are 
audible reads for me and that's, that's awesome. why i can like keep reading them over and over and over yeah yeah so and i love the uh, just the personal responsibility it's one of those things where it's like there's so many in today's world i feel like there's like a i don't know if i would call it a movement but there's definitely a group of people that are um i don't know i becoming the victim in the situations that they mm -hmm. find themselves in Mm -hmm. Not to, and I would say like, certainly they are victims a hundred percent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But from the, yep. if, if you want to help someone get out of the, wherever they're at, you, yep. you can wait for someone to come rescue that victim, but now they're just dependent on that person or system that saved them. Um, mm -hmm. And so old, like I am just very intrigued by that title of uh, trying to teach the idea of personal responsibility and uh, mm -hmm. and owning it so that you can mm -hmm. better like no matter if you're in a horrible situation or the best situation, if you can if you don't have personal responsibility, it's any success that you have is going to be short lived before the next yes thing takes you out thing yeah absolutely hundred percent we all I mean there is no promises that life's going to be easy and we all have you know stuff that happens. <laughs> And it's not, it's not that it won't happen. It will. It's just a matter of when and then how you deal with it. And I'm just a big believer in um, owning it, you know, and, and, and taking that personal responsibility and looking in the mirror and saying, what did I contribute to the situation? And what, what do I want to, what do I want to do to improve myself? So it doesn't, so I don't land there again. Totally. All right. Last two questions. What's your favorite movie? Love, I love this question because I'm a movie guy <laughs> and I don't have time to scroll through all of Netflix's options. So just like oh catch gosh. straight to it. You'll be disappointed in me. I think I'm too seven-ish to really like be a movie buff. I, I either fall asleep in movies or I um, multitask through them. But um, I'm about the people movies, like sort of like these true life stories of resilience. So I find a lot of my movies on, uh, as I travel around the country, I just recently watched Respect, the Aretha Franklin story. Awesome story. And I've been talking for the last couple of years when people ask me about good movies, um, about the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie on the basis of sex. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ginsburg, yeah. Yeah, I, I know Supreme the name, but what's the name of oh, okay. the? Is it? Oh, it's RBG. Is it RBG? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on, on, well, the the movie is on, on the basis of sex. It might be R RGB first. I don't know, but it's the the movie's called On the Basis of Sex. Oh, okay. And it's her story. It's her life story. Oh, okay. So, I have, oh, I see. Yeah. Here. In 2018, with Felicity. Yes, that's it. Yes. See, I'm always studying people still. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, no, I, yeah, I love, I have a, uh, I always go look up movies on IMDb. I don't know if this is the sign of a, of a, a three as well, but I yeah. look to see if it's above a 7.3, uh, to <laughs> that's like the threshold of like, if it's above, if yeah. it's under that, I'll, I'll still give someone the option to use a mulligan to, to suggest that I watch it. Cause it's not a hundred percent, but it's like, so if there's a movie above a 7.3, you know, 98% yeah. of people are going to say, that was a good movie, you know, it's uh, worth my that time. Sounds very three, that sounds that, very, that's got some three going on yeah. for sure. <laughs> and uh, Linda, how, if someone wants to get in touch with you or connect, what's your, what's your preference on how they do that? Yeah, e email or website. So it's Linda at lindajohnconsulting.com. And that's Linda and with an I, correct? Yep, with an I, yep. And my website's 
Just straightforward, lindajohnconsulting.com. Awesome. Well, Linda, this is, I, I, I love self-awareness and, and like I said, criticism and I'm trying to understand myself better and hopefully everybody listening got a little nugget out of this as well. And I look forward to meeting you in November when you come to Visage. Likewise, this has been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your attention and listening to this episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. Your feedback and comments mean the world to me. If you liked what you heard, please take a second and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. If you've got suggestions for future episodes or just want to say hi, shoot me an email at chris at chriskiefer.com. Don't forget, I make it a point to include all the links to the books, movies, and resources mentioned on this episode in the show notes. You can see those directly below in the description or on my website, chriskiefer.com. Thanks so much, guys.